how was your Christmas? And no doubt you responded very positively that it was really a good time, a lot of joy or happiness. Well, that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah said would happen. That from the birth of the Savior, we would be filled with a lot of joy and express that joy to others. Listen to his words this morning from Isaiah 63, as he reminds us that the Christmas joy is unending. Gary? I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel. According to his compassion and many kindnesses, he said, Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Just as God was faithful to his promise to send a Savior, he was also faithful in the purpose. You know, sometimes people have, have no doubt about what Christmas is about, but they may wonder, why is it that God had to come here to save us? And the Apostle Paul lays that out for us. He reminds us that the Savior had to be born under the laws of God, just as you and I are under those laws in order to fulfill them and thus redeem us from their curse so that we could be children of God. You know, at Christmas time, we often think of the, the joy that the little kids have with Christmas, but there's also a spirit of Christmas that reminds all of us we are children of God, and that is because Jesus came to redeem us. Listen how Paul explains that to us in Galatians chapter 4. But when the time, uh, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Maybe at Christmas we all feel a little bit like a child and that we get excited about it. Paul reminds us, because of Jesus, we are all child, a children of God. And so let's use that this morning as our profession of faith to proclaim, I am a child of God. Together we read, I am a child of God. In eternity before creation, the Lord chose me to be his own. He did so not because of anything I would be or accomplish. This precious gift was based solely on his love, of which I am completely unworthy. I am a child of God. In time past, the Lord's Son became the God-man, seeking the salvation of all, living righteously and dying sacrificially, Christ set things right between me and the Lord. All I need to be at one with God, he provided at his expense. I am a child of God. 
In my lifetime, the Lord called me into his family by the Spirit's creation of faith within. God now walks with me every day, watching over me. He guides me so I fulfill his purpose for my life. He protects and enlightens, helps and empowers me. In gratitude, I exalt him as the sovereign I serve. I am a child of God. In the future, God will deliver me from every evil, sorrow and suffering, pain and tears, sin and death, will be banished forever. The Lord will fill me with joy in his presence, with eternal pleasures at his right hand. I am a child of God. Each day the world beckons me. With tempting voice it invites me to enthrone itself as my God. In the end, though, it delivers only a spent heart, a hollow spirit, and a damned soul. There is but one path to real life, now and forever, the Lord, living in, through, for, and with him. This I have because of his undeserved mercy and love. Blessed am I. To the Lord be my praise without ceasing. Amen. And now we invite our children, ages three through second grade, to go into the entryway and meet the teacher to head down to Children's Church. And of course, the child that lives in us is a child who came here to be with us, the Christ. We'll sing that in our next song, What Child Is This?
Does it feel like Christmas is over? You know, all the things we were so busy doing the past few weeks, all the, the planning, the, the decorating, the, the baking, all the things that we were doing to celebrate Christmas, well, that's all done now. And even all those events that we wanted to participate in to celebrate the season, they're probably all done too. So now we kind of pack it all up, huh? And move on to the next thing, uh, celebrating a, a new year, which really has got a lot of the old stuff in anyway. But before you start packing up Christmas, let me give you this thought. You know, the, the, some of the Christmas carols that we hear this time of the year, they, they talk about this being the most wonderful time of the year and how we should have a merry little Christmas. Well, if it is so joyous, and we know that it is, then why don't we make it unending? You might wonder, how can we do that? Well, God has done it, and now we just need to see what he's doing for us through Christmas, that we can indeed say it's an unending Christmas. Now, sometimes people will say, well, Christmas is a very personal thing. You know, how you view it and what you do with it. And there's probably truth to that. We all have our particular ways in which we celebrate Christmas. And so we could probably say that Christmas is a personal thing. So in making Christmas unending, let's start first of all by seeing what we can do personally in our lives to make it unending. Now, to see what we can do, let's take a look at the scriptures. We're all familiar with the Christmas account that Luke wrote about that first day and, and night of Christmas. But did you know that he continues on telling us more about Christmas? In the days, yeah, even the weeks following Christmas, he tells us how Christmas continued in the lives of God's people. So this morning, let's take a look at, at three groups, three sets of people, and see how Christmas was unending for them and now for us. So Luke continues with the Christmas story this way. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So Luke was telling us how the Holy Family kept Christmas going and the way they made it personal. It was to have a Christmas faith. Recognizing who Jesus is and what he came to do, they did what was required of them. With their faith, they obeyed the laws of God because they trusted what those laws were about. 
Now, as we reflect on the passage that I just read, we will note that there were three, let's say, ceremonies that were taking place. The first one was the circumcision of Jesus. That happened eight days after Christmas. It probably happened in the house or the place where they were staying and not in the temple. For the child to be circumcised was part of the Old Testament law. God told Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ was born, that the male children were to be circumcised. This was God's sign to them that they were part of his family, that they were children of God. In fact, Moses recorded that in the books of the law that he wrote, that it was required that all the males be circumcised. And so Mary and Joseph did for Jesus what was required by the law. He was circumcised. Now that reminds us of what we heard about just a few minutes ago in our, one of our scripture readings from Galatians. The one that said Jesus was born under the law. That is, Jesus was born as a human being who had to live according to all of the laws of God that were required of us. And he did it for the purpose of redeeming us from that law, fulfilling it for us. But as Luke also noted, not only was he circumcised, that was the day, that was the official day in which he got his name. And they named their child Jesus, because that's the name the angel told Joseph to give his son. Now, Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And the angel explained to Joseph why he would have that name. Because he would save his people from their sins. And so Mary and Joseph are simply trusting that this law was the right law because it would bring them redemption. But there were also two other things that they did during this time, during these weeks after Christmas. The second thing was that there was a presentation of the firstborn son. That is, they brought him to the temple to present him to the Lord, to consecrate him or set him apart for the Lord. This too, Luke reminds us, was part of the requirements of the law. That is, when God had redeemed his people Israel from their slavery in Egypt, 1400 years before the birth of Jesus, He did so with ten powerful plagues, remember that? By which he was breaking the will of the Egyptians to hold the Israelites as slaves. But it took that plague of death to finally break that will. So God had the angel of death go over Egypt and strike down all the firstborn males of humans and animals. But God did not want his people to suffer that. So he commanded them to take a lamb, to sacrifice it, and to put its blood over the doorposts. And that was the sign then for the angel of death to pass over that house and spare the life of those children. And in that way, the Lord said, those children now are his. But the family could redeem them back so to speak, by going to the temple and presenting them to the Lord. 
And so in this way, too, we are reminded that the presentation of Jesus in the temple was setting him apart for the Lord. In fact, it was why the Lord had sent him, because the Lord had set him apart for us to be the Savior of the world. Now, the third thing that the Holy Family did during those weeks after Christmas was to go to the temple for the purification rite for Mary. Again, the Old Testament law said that uh, a woman, after giving birth to a child, was unclean for seven days. And for another 33 days, she was not allowed to go into the temple. So now, it's the 40th day after Jesus' birth. So Jesus is about six weeks old. And they're still celebrating Christmas. They're celebrating the birth of the Savior. Mary goes and they offer up an offering for purification. Now Luke tells us it's either two pigeons or two doves. That was the offering that was allowed for a family that was poor. So that's how we know that this family did not have a lot of money. But it wasn't those doves or pigeons that made Mary pure. They were simply there as a symbol for the sacrifice that would be made to make everyone pure. And that was their child. And so we learned something about what they were doing. They're obeying the laws because they trusted what the purpose of the law was. This was all an expression of their faith that God had provided for them redemption. And so you and I can celebrate Christmas too by obeying God's laws with a trust that they are meant to bless us. Now, Luke introduces to us another person, one who was there in the temple, an older man by the name of Simeon. Here's what we learn from him about celebrating an unending Christmas. Luke writes, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation, that is the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. Now we're not told much about the background of this man, Simeon. We don't know from what tribe of Israel he was. We probably probably assume he's one of the priests and that's why he was there at the temple. But what is recorded for us is the thing that matters most to God his spiritual character. We're told that he was righteous and devout. Here was a man who was righteous by his faith. So he had faith and he was devout. That is, he was faithful in living that faith. We're also told that he was blessed by the Holy Spirit to know the promise of the Savior and to be told that he wouldn't die until he had actually seen the Savior. And so what we learn from Simeon about celebrating Christmas is that with our Christmas faith, we can simply wait because we know 
the promises of God. Simeon waited patiently with faith for that Savior to come. And then he's filled with the Spirit and led into the temple so that he would see that Savior. He just had to wait for the Lord's time for that blessing. And so it is you and I have been giving promises from God. We know what they are. We simply need to wait for God's timing to fulfill them. And then look what happens. When Simeon sees the Christ child, he takes him in his arms and praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He was so filled with joy, all he could do was praise God. God kept his promise. God allowed him to see that Savior. Here he was, I just can't imagine the joy he had. Holding the one who had been holding him for all these years. Here with this tiny child was the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. It'd be a natural reaction to simply praise God as he does for the blessings that he received. He saw what God promised. And so we learn from these people how Christmas can be a personal thing, how it can be an unending personal thing, with faith that obeys because it trusts the Word of God, with faith that waits because it knows what God will do, and with a faith that will praise God for what we see Him doing. Now Luke records one other interesting observation about how Mary and Joseph felt going through all of this. His next verse is this. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Amazed. Well, of course. This is the Son of God. Now, you know how parents are, right? They get very proud and about their kids and what they do. Imagine what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph, you know, for people to come up and say, Oh, your son, he is so well behaved. I'm sure that they were just waiting to say, Let me tell you about my son. You and I, too, can boast and can have some joy in that child born 2,000 years ago because he was born for us, too. We can be amazed over Christmas, and we could keep it going. The reason being, that child that was born 2,000 years ago was born for us. He's our Savior today, because he's the only Savior for the world. So how do we keep it going? How do we keep Christmas unending? Live with a Christmas faith. Like Mary and Joseph, live with a faith that will obey because it trusts the word of God. 
Now, there might be certain commandments that we struggle keeping. And maybe because we struggle with them, we maybe don't think, well, it's not that big of a deal. Or maybe there are certain commandments we don't think, well, that doesn't really apply anymore. Faith will trust that all those commands of God are given to be a blessing. And therefore, we will obey them because they are meant for our good. They remind us of our need for a Savior as they point out our failings and show us the one who kept all those laws for us, that child. We can also keep Christmas going as we wait patiently for God to fulfill his promises because we know he keeps them. His promise to take care of us. His promise to be with us no matter what we experience. His promise always to forgive. His promise to guide us to heaven. God's promises do not fail. Let's just live with a faith that trusts them because we know he keeps them. And let's live with a faith that's going to keep praising God too. You know, on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, we've had several hundred people here. Probably, I think the number is close to like over 700 people were here those two days. But we all know what's going to happen now after Christmas. Attendance will drop down. Why? If Christmas is unending, if that joy is still there, our Savior is still there, then why don't we keep praising? crazy thought came to me when I was doing some Christmas shopping one morning. Yeah, almost the last morning. And I went to the mall, and I couldn't find a parking spot. So finally, I just gave up and came home. (laughs) But I thought to me, why isn't that the church parking lots are filled up like that for Christmas, right? Everybody wants those deals. Everybody wants that stuff. Where are they for the Savior? Well, let's keep Christmas unending, praising him. So don't pack up Christmas yet. Keep it in your heart. But as we're ready now to move on to another holiday, New Year's, and we're going to maybe make some resolutions, right? I'm going to do this this coming year. Start it with this list. Obeying God's word with trust waiting for his promises because they will be kept, and praising him because what you have seen him do. Now I'm pretty sure that when you celebrated Christmas, it wasn't something you did in secret. (laughs) I'm sure people could have looked at you and said, yeah, he celebrates or she celebrates Christmas. Whether it was because of decorations on the outside of your house, maybe because of events you went to, shopping that you did, or maybe just the fact that you said, Merry Christmas to people, they knew you celebrated Christmas. In other words, you made it public. Well, Luke introduces us to one more person who is celebrating Christmas weeks after it was over because of how she celebrated it publicly. Let's meet one more person who is in that temple, an elderly lady by the name of Anna. There was also a prophet 
Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped God night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now Luke gives us a little bit of a background of this lady, of the tribe of the Israelites she came from, and what her life had been like, married for seven years and then a widow, living now until she was 84, probably had a very hard life, maybe a lonely life. But Luke tells us what she was known for. She was the church lady. <laughs> you could always find her at church. She was there day and night, fasting and praying. You see, what she did with her Christmas faith was to worship God with an expression of reliance on him. That's what fasting and prayer is, an expression of reliance. Fasting, you know, is when people go without food for a period of time. People would do that because it was their way of expressing reliance on God, putting their focus on their spiritual needs and not their material or physical needs. They were showing that we live not by bread alone, but by the very word of God. It was also a way to express repentance over sins. Now, most Christians today don't practice fasting, and that's okay. People sometimes will ask me, well, do you fast? And I'll say, no, I feast, can't you tell? <laughs> and I'll refer to an incident in Jesus' ministry when the Jewish leaders had criticized him and his disciples for not fasting. And Jesus pointed out that when the bridegroom comes, you don't fast. You feast. You don't go to a wedding to starve. You're at a wedding and there's a huge banquet there. And so since the bridegroom has come and we have them, we can feast. But let's feast on the promises of God primarily. Now, we can still express our reliance on God, and we do that with prayer, like Anna did. Here we have that opportunity from the Christ child to hear our concerns and needs. We have his promise that he will hear and he will answer with the right and the best answer. And so let's worship God with our Christmas faith and make it known to others we rely on the Lord. But Anna did something else. <laughs> she was so excited she left the church and she went around town and was telling everybody what she had heard and seen. To all those who were waiting for that promise to be fulfilled, she told them, our prayers have been answered. The Savior has come. Now, I can't see this little old lady going around and making herself kind of a pest or being overbearing in how she presented it. I don't think she was walking down the sidewalk with a sign saying, Repent, uh, the Savior has come. 
But I think just in her natural conversations with people, she shared the good news. You know, and that's how we can do it too. We don't have to be overbearing. In fact, I don't think she followed the temple's outreach program. She just had her own way of doing it. Simply naturally sharing in conversation the truth. You know, we can do that real easily too. When people ask you, so how was your Christmas? You can say, you know, it was really nice. First, you know, we went to church and we worshiped God because of our Savior. And then you can tell them the other things. In some way, you can very easily and naturally share the message, the Savior has come. And not just your Savior, but he's their Savior too. So, with looking at these people, we have seen ways of making Christmas unending. As we're getting ready for the new year, let's add a few more things to that list of resolutions. Let's worship regularly. We have the reason why. Let's pray often. We need to, and it's a blessing. Let's express our faith to others, and let's support the work of outreach and our missionaries throughout the world who are telling about the Savior of the world. No doubt it was obvious to others you were celebrating Christmas. Now, perhaps in the next few days, you'll be going back to the regular routine of things. But don't pack up Christmas. We have a reason and a way to celebrate an unending Christmas with Christmas faith. God keeps celebrating it and blessing us with it. Let's celebrate too. Amen. One of the ways that we can celebrate Christmas is by going to our God and simply asking for that great gift of forgiveness. And he gives it. Let's do that now with our prayer of confession. Together we pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful time it is to celebrate the coming of our Savior. But sometimes I let the circumstances of my life overshadow the blessings of Christmas. Forgive me. For Jesus' sake, fill me with a Christmas faith. Amen. And God will answer that prayer, as he always does. And he will give you the very best answer, a Savior. May that Savior fill your heart with unending joy. Amen. Let me ask you uh, kindly now to fill out a welcome worshiper card, the yellow card found in the hymnal rack in front of you. One side is for our members, another side for our guests. If you are a guest this morning, we extend a warm invitation to you, and we hope we get to meet you in the uh, back of the church, after church, and we certainly invite you to worship with us again. When you have finished filling out that card, you may simply put it in the offering plate as it passes by this morning. Now, with joy in our hearts, let's gather our offering for the Lord. Angels from the